Hello and welcome, and thank you for joining. I'm your host, Seth Haskin. I started this podcast to dive deeper into the ways we know one another and God. The goal is to ask the question of how God loves. I invite people from many walks of life to join me on this adventure. As we dive deeper into personifying God, we have to bring him into our three-dimensional world, but also understand that he lives in another plane of existence, the fourth dimension. I would, well, I would like to welcome and thank our repeat guest today, my choir director, Dr. Marin Geiskill. Thank you for joining me again on this journey into f- relationships in life. How are you today? I'm fabulous and excited to do it again. It was a lot of fun the first time. That's good. I was just about to ask, how did you enjoy the first one? So. It was wonderful. It's wonderful to like think about these topics and to talk about them. Yeah, especially well. when you are professional at it. Oh, well, the last episode was professional <laughs> standpoint on music. So yes, yes, the last one I was definitely a professional. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. Um, uh, this one's a little bit more, um, not so much about your professional outlook on music, but more about uh, something we talked about on the last episode. Um, besides music and relationships. Um, something that ties into both of those is the idea of sacrifice and first fruits. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of the direction I want to go today with you um, and just talking about some of the things that we talked about before and some new ideas about um, sacrifice and first fruits. So um, my first question for you to start things off is what are first fruits to you? Um, what do they look like? Can you give an example? I can. Okay. So when we talk about the first fruits and I think about like the, the, my first uh, thought is the biblical story Mm -hmm. um, with uh, Cain and Abel. And so when I, and that to me, that always, that's, I will will say at first that that story always, like when I was younger, used to cause me a little bit of discomfort because it's like, what made, you know, the um, Cain's, uh, you know, sacrifice not good enough. And Honestly, it means his. When I look at it today, it's his heart isn't in it. He's mm-hmm. not. He's doing it. It's it's perfunctory. It's just whatever. He's not really considering it. So if I take that to a church concept, it's you know going to church because it's Easter or because not actually paying attention, Sudoku or <laughs> words game with friends or whatever, while your the sermon's going on, like not really caring, um, and your heart not being in it. And I think that for me, first fruits means that there's the effort there's your heart is in it that there is and there's a result in that there's if your heart is in it there's going to be a result the result may not always look the same you know like when a child makes a painting and they really try it's not often going to look like something that you would maybe sell mm-hmm. <laughs> you know or something that that we may get you know all the awards at an art show but it it was all of their it was all their energy all their uh, their gifts or the woman who puts the, her money into the uh, the coffers at the church in Jesus's parable you know that was it wasn't as much as the other person's but it was all she had and so when I think of first fruits I'm thinking of this is I'm giving my energy and the best that I possibly can to God or to whatever I'm saying I love or I care about. So first fruits uh, in summary of what you said is more about. Um, intentionality and uh, it being like all you like all you can give right away. Yeah, it's what it's what you have to give. Okay, okay. So um, my next question, following that up, um, is: Are giving first fruits like what you described it as? Is it similar to sacrifice? If so, and how? 
I think it is similar. I think sometimes first fruits is a sacrifice. I think that sometimes it can be, uh, depends on what we're talking about. Like I gave the example of a child who draws their best possible painting. What they're sacrificing there is time maybe. They didn't, um, you know, if we're talking about a modern day child, maybe they didn't watch television at that moment or color for themselves or make something. They they took their, something that, um, they took something that meant something maybe in that moment and maybe it wouldn't be quantifiable to an adult, but it was something for them. So generally you're giving something away, whether it's time, energy, um, resources. Um, but sometimes it's a bigger sacrifice. You know, sometimes it is that if you're like people who tie, they give a chunk of money uh, that they could use on something else and they're giving it to the church or to God. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I think it is a sacrifice of worth and me and um you know to some kind of because when i think of the word sacrifice you know there is some kind of felt sacrifice sometimes there isn't Mm -hmm. so with this idea of sacrifice and first fruits um we talked about worship um in the last podcast and how we were talking about the way you saw first fruits um being displayed um for the presenters of worship you know, the ones who are leading it and um, playing the instruments and so on and so forth, um, or whatever form of worship it is. Mm -hmm. Um, And we talked about this idea of uh, being in in the observing aspect of that and how sometimes it can be hard if we are um, listening for things and we aren't present in those moments. So for when it comes to those issues when we're talking about, oh, it's just another Sunday, so I'm going to play this song, or the people who are, like, really, really into it, um, can first fruits be seen by others when it comes to intentionality of doing something? That's a really great question. I think that oftentimes it can be, but I think that there are times where we're supposed to, if we're talking about to God, that it's not supposed to be seen. Like, if, for example, if we use that parable of the poor woman and the uh, richer man, let's pretend that the richer man isn't the uh, lesser um, heart-based, mm-hmm. doesn't have the lesser heart in that story. Should we know every time a really, really wealthy person gives a whole lot of money to the church? Mm-hmm. You know, or um, should I think that there are times when people who will give it their gifts, they're not supposed to announce it, you know, because then we've gone into another category of pride and, and doing things for other reasons. It's not about God there in that moment, right? It's about you. It's about building up your own namesake. Sometimes the first fruits are seen in the person who is singing in worship, in uh, somebody who works tirelessly with children they don't have, you know, in, in, a, in a children's ministry or uh, who takes care of a sick elderly relative you know sometimes we can see those first roots but sometimes you don't know you don't know that someone's giving money to a person who really needs it or you may not know that someone is um uh who's somebody who's working in a ministry at church really could be using that time to do their favorite they're missing out on their golf game (laughs) you know it's it's Mm -hmm. something that they're you don't so and I don't think that they're supposed to announce it so I would say sometimes it's visible sometimes it isn't I think it really comes down to again I think that the core of this is heart you know why are you doing this what's the heart of this 
Because the same, if we have, like, if we use somebody we used before, that's the worship leader. If there's a worship leader who's talented and they're getting up in service every day and they're doing it for their own glory versus somebody who's also talented and they're getting up thinking, I'm doing this for God. No, no one in the congregation can see that heart, but God can, you know. So it's one of those things that at the end of the day, it's the heart. So sometimes it's visible, sometimes it isn't. Mm-hmm. Which um, uh, uh, brings me to another question of... Um, when as onlookers when we're thinking about first fruits we can't always just go off of what we see because we don't see everything that's going on so should we be having a mentality um of thinking of um that isn't very judgmental against these people when they're doing stuff for the glory of god or um in any part of their life like as an example um a lot of times people tear apart other people's lives, especially when they're in the uh, public as eye. So like politicians, um, mm-hmm. celebrities, you know, stuff like that. But yet we don't see everything they do. Should we come at it in a way in which we are still seeing and unseeing mm. per se of what they're doing? Should we give them a benefit of the doubt or should we take into scorekeeping quote-unquote of everything that we can see and using that being like oh they're not showing any fruits i think my first i think that those are that's very again i think that's a really interesting question too i think that like a lot of things sometimes there are moments where you have to use judgment like timothy when we're talking about for example the people who go into who are allowed to be deacons and Mm -hmm. elders there is a criteria we're supposed to look for you know they're Mm -hmm. supposed to be have decent family lives (laughs) and i think it depends again that's one of those that's it depends on we're talking about if someone's going to be a leader like let's use church leader and we're all aware that they are an alcoholic who's abusing their wife i think we can take that into account Mm -hmm. you know (laughs) i think that if you're talking about someone who however if we're talking about I noticed they had a really nice car, so that means they're materialistic. I think that I think it's I think that you we should avoid judgments when that judgment is not something that is base is scriptural. Like mm-hmm. if it's not something like abusing your wife, cheating on your wife and you want to be an elder. Um those are things that we can easily count as scriptural. We know that they're not things you should be doing. Having a fancy car, liking nice clothes does not mean someone is vain. Mm-hmm. That That's not a scriptural thing. That's an emotional response on a judgment outside of direct, um, r- obvious right and wrong. So mm-hmm. I think that, I and mean, I think that that's a, a good question is that the concept of judgment, because maybe somebody looked at Cain and Abel and said, well, he's given me, you know what? It's great me. Cause, cause sometimes judgment can go the other way too. You can assume somebody is you know, giving all they all all they can, and maybe their heart isn't really all that. Right? Mm-hmm. You They're more legalistic about the, it. Yes, you yeah. just you just don't know. So I think that I think we should. Re- I think judgment should be reserved. It should be like really kind of the last, um, the last thing when we're talking about another person, because hopefully people look pay, spend more time paying attention to their own hearts and their own motivations than other people's. But of course, we know that's not really true and off most of the time. <laughs> So mm-hmm. I think that when it comes to like leaders, leader in church, or even even as, even if with personal relationships, I don't like that somebody did this. Okay, what did you talk to them? Do we find out more? Mm-hmm. Because those things, because like let's if we even if we use the subject of someone in a 
who wants to be an elder and there are rumors that they have been a bad husband or you need to look into it, not just take mm-hmm. rumors. Like I think that every situation requires us to judge very carefully in the sense if we're going to, if we have to make a judgment call, then we have to make sure we're employing the right methodology, the right thinking and of, of looking at our own hearts as well. And also not employing things that are rumor based or based on um, our own value system mm-hmm. rather than looking at, um, making ju- judgment based on how what God tells us is supposed to be the line of of demarcation, if you will. Yeah, this has always been a topic for me because now we're dipping into not just first fruits, but just fruits in general, the, yeah. like fruits of the Spirit. Um, I think it's interesting that a lot of times we say we shouldn't judge and do this, this, and this, but sometimes there are moments where we're like, well, we're not seeing these fruits. We're not seeing mm-hmm. if they are a true follower of Christ, they should have some fruits, right? And I think I've I've had this discussion going in my mind, and I've had it with other people. How can we keep others that say they're followers of Christ and have invited us into that life with them? How can we keep them accountable without judging them? And I think I've come to the conclusion, and I don't know if this is the right one, mm-hmm. but it's something I've been thinking about a lot of when we're judging, quote unquote, I don't like to use the word judging. I say they're just not producing fruits. Um, for me, like I can see a someone who calls himself a Christian, but I don't see any fruits. Their tree is barren. Mm. I don't see any kindness. I don't see any patience. I don't see any of the fruits of the spirits. And I'm not seeing everything they're doing. But in a public sphere, if you're calling yourself a Christian, you should be seeing those things, right? Yeah. Uh, how do you feel about that? I think that that's a very good way of looking at it. I think that you shall, I mean, there's, again, scripture for that. You will know them by their love uh, mm-hmm. and, and Jesus saying, or, uh, yeah, a good tree is not going to produce bad fruit. A, a bad tree is not going to produce, has produced good fruit. And I think that ultimately, we ju- when we say don't judge, what does it mean to judge? Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean to make a looking at something and making a decision about whether or not I hire this person. Because if, you, if you're hiring somebody, you're making a judgment. But there's a difference between that and con- condemnation. Mm-hmm. I think we get the two co- things confused. I don't think we are supposed to condemn, but we can say, you know what? Uh, friendship with you might mean that you're trying to drag me into stuff I have no business doing. You are pushing me to do things I shouldn't want to do. So maybe I don't, I'm not going to be friend, continue this relationship because it is not going to provide the fruits even in relationships. Like I, I say, so like if we look at a relationship with another person, if that person is constantly criticizing you, they make you feel bad about yourself. Mm-hmm. Uh, they um, encourage you to do things that are against every moral fiber in your being. And you're like, well, I'm not supposed to judge them. You can make a judgment about whether or not this relationship <laughs> is, is going to produce fruit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm not going to hire someone who's not producing fruit in their field. I'm not going to vote for someone who's not producing the fruit that I think are in the direction that our country should go. So we have to make judgments about the relationship we have with an individual. Am I going to vote for them? Are we going to hang out? Am I going to marry you? Those are, we can, we make, we can make those decisions. That's different than condemning them. You are a horrible human being. I'm going to tell everybody you're a horrible human being. And I know that you're destined for hellfire. Yeah. You know, those are, those are condemnations. And I think what we're not called to do is condemn. 
But I do like what you said about the because there there are fruits of the spirit, fruits of a valuable relationship, fruits in your whether or not this is a uh, your your um, was it is this your calling as a, in your occupation? There mm-hmm. are all sorts of fruits that we should look for and then and then decide whether or not we should be in the the relationship that that uh, we're trying to be in with that individual or entity. Yeah, I think it's so interesting um, when we're. I, I've always seen when we're talking about judgment, like a court, but I've, I just now was trying to picture where can we as individuals be in the courtroom? Mm. Cause God is the judge. He's the ultimate judge. He's the one who makes the verdict of what's happening. We can never take that place. And when we try to take that place, that becomes a very sticky situation because that's condemnation or saving, you know, right. That, that is not our call. We're not called to do that even in the Bible. So where can we be in the courtroom? Are we in the jury? I I, I don't think we're in the jury either because I think the jury is also making a call against someone what their punishment should be. You know, so is the church supposed to be the jury? And are individuals supposed to be um, the ones who are in the courtroom just listening, the ones behind everything, you know? the ones who are just in the courtroom, not the prosecutor, not whatever. Mm. So just trying to use this imagery, just throwing it out there. I've never like thought about like where we're supposed to be in the courtroom. I've always just seen like judgment as in a courtroom for some aspect because the person being quote unquote judged um, in a courtroom is the defendant. Um, there's the prosecutor and then there is um, the... Um, attorney. Goodness, I couldn't think of the name. So the prosecutor would be maybe their, my own sins. Let's say I'm the def- def- defendant. Maybe the prosecutor is just my own sins, right? So they're saying everything that I've done wrong. The attorney could be Jesus, right? He's the one who's the bridge for us, saving us from our sins. I'm the defendant and God is the judge. Well, if it's not a jury case, so we don't have to worry about the jury. Let's just say it's not that because that's an American thing. Um, a jury is, uh, well, not just an American thing, but like just a jury is like a different part of a court. Yeah. Let's just focus on just like one judge instead of a jury. Um, are we supposed to be the ones behind everything, just watching everything happen? Like, are we supposed to make our own assumptions or, you know, and it's just, I don't know, just throwing it out there. I've never thought about it this way until now because I don't know. Are we talking about in a concept of how people interact in society? Like, is this the court of... Where, where, where does your value, <laughs> is this the court, is this, this isn't, you're not talking about in the terms of a, the ultimate court, right? No. You're talking about where, how you function in society court, right? Yeah. I think we are fellow are defendants even? in the holding cell. <laughs> because <laughs> I think that, you know, like I said, I think that the, I think we have to make judgments about the relationships we have in this world. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody, everything is a relationship, whether it be the job you work for. Like I have made decisions about not to work for people because I felt that the culture at the, at the places was something that was detrimental, um, based on the behaviors of people at that, uh, at, at that particular job. Uh, I'm not condemning them. I didn't go set the place on fire. I didn't go, you know, but I did make a decision about my relationship with that mm-hmm. entity. And I think that for us in the courtroom, I think that we we get to make the relationship 
choice. But whether or not something is good or bad or or worthy of, because what happens in a courtroom is you get a sentence. Mm-hmm. Either you're set free or you are dealt a sentence. The judge brings down a um, punishment, if you will. And I think that we don't get to punish. We don't get to, we shouldn't. And I, I think that that actually is when we get to judging, when we start dealing out punishment. Mm-hmm. I think that's where we go wrong as, mm-hmm. as, mm-hmm. as human beings. When we feel like because this person did this, I need to make sure they feel some kind of pain or feel some kind of, of, of uh, I'm going to deal the court correction. I'm going to deal the correction. That's not the same thing as deciding whether or not we're going to have a relationship with you. And I think that, um, so yeah, I say we, we are in the waiting our own moment because after you come out of court, whether or not you're guilty or innocent, people can decide whether or not to continue a relationship mm-hmm. with you regardless, you know. Prisoners go to jail and their mothers and parents will continue the relationship regardless of the jury of the decision. Uh, somebody can be uh, called up into a courtroom and then the relationships get severed regardless of whether or not they're found innocent or guilty. So I think that we are in the holding cell. We're, it's not even our job to deal with that. I think that's I think in a lot of places, sometimes like children or even no, not even just children. I think we you see human beings um, in different places, make decisions about punishing people. You know, we shun. You know, we will talk about, we'll gossip, and we will sometimes go, "Well, this person deserves the gossip." You know, this person deserves. We think this; they deserve the pain. Like in this current culture, in this what unquote the cancel culture, this person twenty years ago said something that's off color today that wasn't off color twenty years ago. They deserve the punishment. Whatever happens to them is their fault. That's judgment. That's when we're taking something and we're giving, we're doling out punishment rather than saying, okay, you said something 20 years ago. I can choose not to be your, you know, hang out with you because you said this 20 years ago and that's a choice I can make. But that is not the same thing as you deserve to lose your job and et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That was a tangent. Yeah. uh, yeah. (laughs) But from from me. So I take full responsibility. But it was a good one. I think it was something. I agree. Because fruits in general, um, I think are very important to me when it comes to understanding um, as a church, we're not supposed to judge, but at the same time, we're supposed to keep each other accountable. But if we're not trying to look for what's wrong um, in the judgment aspect, how can we look for what's maybe off in the fruits aspect of things? So um, going back to first fruits and sacrifice, I have this quote from um, Shasta Nelson. Uh, she's a woman who has done amazing work and research on relationships, in and on relationships, and specifically friendships. Um, it says, if we keep saying something is important to us, but then do nothing about it, we will ultimately lose both our trust in ourselves and our sense of integrity, not to mention that we'll never go, uh, never get to our preferred future. Um, this is from her book, Frentimacy, How to Deepen Friendships for Lifelong Health and Happiness. Um, how does this quote relate to what we've been talking about when it comes to um, first fruit sacrifice and so on? Intentionality, you know, and and um, if something means something to you, you treat it as precious. Like if we think about when you were a small child and you had a lovey, you know, whatever your love, for those who may not know what Olivia is, you know, <laughs> like your blankie, your pet teddy bear, that doll that you had to have or you would not sleep. <laughs> you treated it as precious. 
And now, of course, small children, that might mean you feed the doll that can't eat or <laughs> or that car you love, whatever your thing was. We cradle it to us and everyone knows it's important. It's visibly clear it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when we come to relationships with other people, um, do you treat that friend as important? Do you remember their birthday? Do you keep them close to you? Do you Are you there for them when you need they need you? And I think that that is what we're talking about here. Is it, does it have a value and do I treat it as such? You know, if I don't tr- think something is valuable, like I can always tell when my kids, oh, I love that toy. And then you don't pick, it's in a corner collecting dust, <laughs> you know, that you don't really care about it. And we do that with people. Do, are, we leave, are we leaving people we say we care about in a corner collecting dust? Mm. That's, that's very good. Um, you know, thinking about it in that way of what we hold dear, people will notice. Oh, yeah. Um, I think that way of thinking about relationships can change the way we interact with what we think is important. Um, If we say this relationship is important, then other people should visibly see that without um, hearing you say it. Mm-hmm. And I think it comes down to what I've been told all my life is that actions speak louder than words. Yes. Actions speak louder. Words are important, too, because you mm-hmm. need to say good words, especially if somebody's love language is words. But, it, but, but the actions are always louder. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's so important to me that um, if you say something, you better act it out, too. But that's mm-hmm. because I've been told that all my life. Um, so it's something that's ingrained in me, um, for, um, uh, I don't know how to say it, morality, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, something that's been ingrained in me for something that I do. So, and that kind of brings me to like the whole part of the Bible where it's like oaths. Don't give your oath to something unless you absolutely mean it. And don't swear by something unless you absolutely mean yes. it. And like, don't swear on things that aren't yours and so on and so forth. So let your yes be yes and your no be no. Um, I tried to hold true to that so hard that if I go against that, it makes me feel ill almost. Mm. So, I mean, that's just something that I've been raised to do because I also felt the pain of someone saying something and not carrying out those actions. Have you had similar experiences? I am a big fan of that with children. I I read in some book a billion years ago before I had my first child, the idea that children will remember if you say we're going to do this and then you don't do that, they will remember the first time, let alone if it's a repeat offense. And because for the children, yes, your yes is yes and your no is no. Even if they're ignoring your no, they still remember you said. <laughs> and I think that for me it is vitally important to, like I, I practice it with my children first and then I try to, it spins out. If I say this, I'm going to do everything I can to keep my word for this because I want you to know that you can trust me. And why that? Because when your children get older, when they get to the phase where they get to choose whether or not they trust you or not. So here's that building relationships, right? Here's that part of us where we get to decide where we, where our, my children may not judge me off the, you know, in a con- condemnation way, but they can judge what that relationship looks like when they get to decide what that relationship looks like. If I have been trustworthy with my child, then the child will still come to me. They will still trust my words. If you break trust with a kid, 
you that is probably the hardest trust to ever build is the child to trust with a child. And I think that that spins out in lesser ways throughout your uh, in, a, in other relationships. If you tell your boss you're going to do something and you are never doing what you say you're supposed to be doing, they don't trust you. Right. So that leans into the trust factor. I think that your yes should be yes and your no should be no, because you cannot even in a you can't people won't trust you. Your relationship with your children could lead them to not trust you, but trust some random person that may lead them down a bad path. It's hard to maintain uh, authority in a job or if you're a husband, if you and your family doesn't have trust in you. There's so many different places where that concept breaks down everything. It'll break down job, break down home, break down relationships in every way. So if that is, I think if you uphold that idea that I'm going to be true to my word, that my oath means something, then you have better relationships with whoever you're speaking to, whoever, whoever you're giving your oath to. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, how does that idea of like oaths and trust and so on, um, play into the way people see first fruits? I think that if you are giving your all and people see it, then that is, in a lot of ways, a part of giving your best, that people can trust it. And then when you're giving your best and your all and that trust, that helps you in Think about what's the, what's the whole point of all this, right? We're bringing people to God. If we're if we're as in, we're bringing people to. We're having better relationships with other people. We're making. We're by virtue being sometimes we are the the hands and feet of God. So we're helping people in their lives. All of those things require us to give our best. And part of that also is the trust. That that's what you're doing. You know, if you are telling people, or if you're showing in one way or another, you don't care, because that's really what first fruits about is that showing. I'm not. I don't really care. I'm not, I'm not, you're the, if everything is in the corner collecting dust for me, except for the other stuff, then that trust that you're going to bring something of value to other people is gone. People will lose trust in what you say you're going to do. And as a result, sometimes they can lose trust in the church. Sometimes they can lose trust in the home culture because the, because the other church we have is our home and that's where, where God is glorified and should be edified. And it breaks down the home too, you know, not bringing your first fruits, not uh, bringing intentionality. And that can lead specifically to when the family isn't showing first fruits, it's hard to keep God in the house as well, you know, wherever, because that, that's the ministry, that's the first ministry. <laughs> so all of it, it's just very important to have that intentional, trustworthy direction of bringing your all into this situation. So I had read the quote, but there was a specific part of the quote that said, um, uh, uh, we will ultimately lose both the trust in ourselves and the sense of integrity um, when we don't do anything about what we think is important. How, how does that play into this idea of sacrifice and first fruits? If we're sacrificing time, energy, and so on for relationships, um, or we say that it's important and we don't do those things specifically, it can bring down ourselves and our sense of integrity and thus can become a vicious cycle. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that, yeah, exactly. If Well, it also helps you to see your purpose and expand on that. So I use the example of the home. So if we're, if you are, we all are flawed. We're all going to do stuff we shouldn't do. We're all going to mess up one way or the other and have to rebuild. But it's 
the relationship between a husband and wife, the relationship between parents and children requires consistent and constant trust and the trust that you're doing your best. It would be very difficult to, if you don't believe that your husband or your wife is doing their best, then it helps the other person not want to do their best. And then there's a slow breakdown of lack of trust, lack of devotion to, and then children feel that. And then children, it, it affects mental health of children, period, when that can, this kind of stuff happens. And then you have this situation in the home where people aren't going to grow because of the relationships in the home. Just like you can grow from your relationships outside of your home, your relationships in your home need you to be trustworthy, need you to bring, be bringing first fruits in order for everybody in that environment to grow. And I don't think we say these kind of things enough. I think people think that their sheer presence is enough. We are canes. We think we did something. <laughs> I was there. <laughs> sure, I didn't speak at dinner and I haven't spoken to you and forgot your birthday. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I clearly care more about my poker buddies than anyone in this house. But I'm present. I'm breathing in your space. That does not build the relationship. That does not move us forward. You know, and I think that's the thing is that these first fruits, the intentionality, being able to trust moves us forward in the relationships and the relationships does move us forward in our wholeness and our our relationships with ourselves and others. I mean, it's all a part of a healthy existence and having healthy uh, ways of interacting. And that builds the kingdom because when we have healthy families, we can attract sometimes other people to recognizing why God's word is important, why uh, giving into you know, uh, we attract people to God by those things. So when we have all these breakdowns, we aren't good witnesses. Mm -hmm. And so I think that absolutely it's all about that's that that's that Cain's biggest issue is it's like I'm, I'm here. That's not enough, though. <laughs> yeah, I think <clears throat> the best way we can witness to others of God's goodness and love is through our actions. Yep. Um, I've kind of thought about it of like, um, Pretend the world is deaf. Hmm. So those who are hardened of hearts or don't listen to the word or don't hear the word, what can they see mm -hmm. in our actions? What are our first fruits? What are our fruits in general? You know, what is our sacrifice? Are we modeling God's sacrifice, Jesus' sacrifice mm -hmm. that he did for the people? Um, and if we kind of have that mentality as Christians, I think it can help us understand that um, one works um, are important, but they're not the only thing no. because what is the intentionality behind those works? And that's where yes. the first fruits tie in, you know, because like you said, if I'm just in that space, I'm there. That's not really showing God's character, but that's doing works. Yeah. Like, you're doing something. <laughs> you could be doing something, but what, how are you doing it? Right. You know? And so there's always the debate of works can't, you know, buy your way in heaven, which I believe but also, if we really truly love God and, and follow God, then works are just a byproduct of that right. love. Right. It's the sanctification, right? It's that, it's that you, you, you have the salvation and you believe Jesus is your Lord and Savior. And it's not so much that, okay, now you do everything to prove that all the time. Mm -hmm. It's more so you, have the, you build a relationship. You build a relationship, you learn about God, you grow. And as you do those things, you are pushed to do the things that edify that. 
you know, again, we see this in the, again, the, the mirror of the husband and wife. When you're when a husband loves his wife as Christ loves the church, he does all sorts of things to show that love, not because I'm just doing it, but because of the love that's already there. And then mm-hmm. the outpouring when a wife loves, it's the outpouring. When you love your husband, there's an outpouring that happens. You're not just doing it perfunctory. It's because of the love that's there. And those things unify and keep everything else in the home together. Mm-hmm. And it's yeah, it's it's. It's it's I go boils down to the heart. The heart is the most important thing. And like if in your body, if the heart is in trouble, so is the rest of the body. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like um, there are so many scriptures that use the metaphor of the heart. You know, hardened of hearts mm-hmm. means they don't want to listen. They have their ideas, so on and so forth. Um, and then there is you know intentionality with the uh, uh, first fruits. But then also when Jesus is talking about when people come up to him and ask about, you know, adultery. Mm-hmm. He's like, it's not just the action, it's the heart. It's the heart. If you're lusting after a woman, you've committed adultery in your heart, you know? Right. Because what you feel in your heart, you know, is going to come out some way or another. Yes, and that's what people, that that is why it's, the, it's so important to keep your, to try to seek an inner purity, because if you aren't, if it's not there, if because again, we're not perfect. We're not going to have an amazing, perfect mm-hmm. purity. But if you're seeking it, it will show up in your actions and how you talk to people. The, that, thus, the fruits of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what we're talking about. When you say fruits of the Spirit, we're talking about the inner work, the inner sanctification that you do shows up in the kindness, the patience, the selflessness, selflessness all those things. Not You can't, working it backwards is not going to do anything because your heart will eventually show true. Mm-hmm. And I think it's so important to understand that um, there are good actors out there. <laughs> yeah. So that's just another tidbit. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and we have to be aware of those actors and the Bible says it too, be aware of false prophets and so on and so forth. But but you know them by their fruit too. You know and sometimes them by their it's, fruit. Not, it's not always instantaneous, nope. but eventually they'll reveal. Yeah. So, and it, and it's, and it's scary sometimes too, mm-hmm. you know, because we want to give people the benefit of the doubt, especially when they're Christ followers. But sometimes something comes up and you're like, mm, wait a minute, are they really producing these, fr- these fruits? Yeah. You know? And so, and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, they're not. Right. And so you're like, that tree is actually bare. Yep. And I don't see any of the fruits of the Spirit. And it's yep. just like we have to be aware of those things. But we also have to understand that they're people, you know. And so maybe they were taught that that's what the fruits of the Spirit look like. And it was nothing to do with the heart. And so maybe we could witness to them by our heart, not by our words and actions. And then that comes to the judgment. We're witnessing because that's, that's uh, we're going to witness to you, but I may, I may not put you in a position of leadership. The, what kind of relationship I have with you might change. Like I can be, um, uh, like if somebody, if, if, I, if I use a dating imagery, you can meet someone and you can go, this person is really awesome. I think they're a great person. But if certain parts of their spiritual life, their walk, their sanity are not in line, you can be great friends with them, but you may not want to put them in the position of future spouse mm-hmm. because there's some things that may need to be worked out. <laughs> and and y- your job is not, if you're in a relationship, that type of relationship, your job is not to 
fix those things, mm-hmm. you know. And so I think that 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 all of the that's the, that difference between what kind of relationship and we have to use discernment. There's the my there's the word you have to use discernment uh, in those situations. You don't have to condemn them and push them away and say that they're worthless. No, that's not your job. You can witness to them. You can befriend them and help them and help try to be a light in their world. We are called to do that. But we have to use discernment in what kind of relationship we have with that person. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's not our job to judge. And even with discernment, I think that is also a God thing. Mm-hmm. Um, we can see the fruits of the Spirit, but sometimes with those actions, we have to discern. Like, God, help me discern like this, this, and this. And it's just like being aware of those things. So, yeah, relationships are tricky. They are. <laughs> There's and a lot to them. and. One of the reasons why I started the podcast, I swear I say that every time, <laughs> every every episode, I'm like, and that's one of the reasons why I started this podcast. But it's, it is. It is. And I, I like, you know, and what kind of, and with your, with young people today, <laughs> you know, it's young. I, I can't believe I'm at the age where I can say young people today, but <laughs> there is a, with it, you guys so I'm Jen. I'm technically a millennial, and I would say one of my observations of Gen Z is you are so nice, and it's so hard to say, but you can't be in my circle. You know, it's hard for it's hard. I think for Gen Z to use discernment and judgment because those are those are like the worst words ever. I don't want to be judgmental, but again, you can recognize that a behavior should not be introduced into your world or that this is, you can you can pray and try to make sure, and it's not a mean thing to say, I'm going to put this relationship on this shelf and not this shelf because if it's on this shelf, I might be led astray or it's going to affect me somehow and my ministry, what I'm being called to do, or it doesn't represent um, something that I want to follow through with. And that is not mean. We have to, Timothy, is an example of when we pick elders, we have to do that in order to keep up with what we're being called to do mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. I love how you said, um, they're nice. <laughs> <laughs> when you said that, I was like, they're not good. They're not bad. They're just nice. nice. <laughs> yes. Into the woods. Into the woods. I mean, that's one of the reasons why I love into the woods because it does attack this idea of, um, people. Yeah. Just in general, you can have people who put on, this persona and they're nice. They're nice. But they don't have any standing ground besides that. And yep. and I think that's where the discernment comes in. It's just like maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. And being okay, it's okay to say maybe not. Mm-hmm. Being okay with a no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not today. <laughs> yeah. So um the next thing is that in any relationship, there's always going to be sacrifice right mm-hmm. um, whether it be time energy effort or all of it combined at once um, then why is it that America has seen a decline in close friends over the years um, this is a statistic from the Survey Center of American life um, it is it that Americans don't want to sacrifice for relationships or is it something else I have thought about that uh A lot, uh, actually, because I find it very interesting in observing. I like people watching and in observing how, like I mentioned before, Gen Z or whatever (laughs) people, because there's a huge difference. One of the things that 
is different from when I was in college and college students today is we didn't have phones that could take the place of every other human interaction. Like if there is a human interact, if there is a human interaction, you can find a placebo for it with your phone. And that's not to be, I don't want to mean to be, I just blame the phones. It's not the technology is bad. It's that. There's a flip side to it. Yeah, there is. And, and the being forced to have a conversation, you know, there is no, if I wanted to find something out um, about, when I wanted to, to, to find something out about a human being, another human being, there's another human being in my space. Text existed when I was in college. We could text each other, but it was so new that nobody was texting an entire conversation. And, and plus you'd annoying. have to hit three, three <laughs> times. <laughs> exactly. My little razor was like, ah, but, <laughs> but it took it one letter. Exactly. Like, come on. And then we had the Blackberry, but it was, it, but it became a situation. It's become now where you're able to, um, not have full on human interaction. You can have a conversation without looking at the person. You can spend, I'm, my favorite is, oh, we've been dating for three months. Have you seen them? No. Okay. <laughs> it's like, so when, but it's, it's the, I think that we have kind of technolo- tech, use technology as a way to subvert uh, having the, to be put in a place of vulnerability with another person. Mm. Looking at another person, looking them in the eye, being is a vulnerable situation. Hearing their inflection. Hearing the inflection, that's that's vulnerability. Body language, all of it. Exactly. And we've become vulnerability averse. You know, it's scary to put yourself out there like that. It's scary to put ideas. Right now, we literally are living in a time where even expressing an opinion is scary. You know, all these, that which is a vulnerability point to say, this is what I think about X is a vul- is, is putting yourself out there. And I think that we have moved, it's not so much that we're sacrifice reverse or even relationship reverse on its face. It's the, the what leads to a good relationship. It's the vulnerability. I think we are vulnerable. We are become averse to putting ourselves in a place of, and here we go back to that word, of being judged. We don't want anyone to think we are bad or mean or anything bad, even ugly. We have to use filters on pictures of ourselves because we don't even want someone to think ill of, or even... Um, Facebook or Instagram, we want everyone to see us as we want to put forth. That's not true vulnerability. They get to, they can only judge what we give them. And then we don't see them in person for a very, very, very long time, if at all. And so we've cut out the ability, or we're trying, I think, to eliminate the ability for someone to judge us. You can't judge me. You don't know anything about me. Why don't we have a good relationship? Because you don't know anything about that person. You don't know anything about them. And having deep conversations You know, I used to be on the phone until, like, little random. My husband and I knew each other in high school, and we would be on the phone until, like, 2 o'clock in the morning talking for, like, hours and hours and hours as just friends at the time. And um, my mother was screaming, get off the phone. You can, like, be on text, but you don't see inflection. You can erase it. You can try again. You can (laughs) manicure. You can ask somebody else if you think that's okay. I mean, there's all sorts of things you can do that – to erase someone really seeing you. And if they're really not seeing you, then they're not getting to know you. Mm-hmm. And I think that we've this become averse to it. Copy, cut, edit, paste, type. Even they have a new um, voice message for texting. Like you can talk into your phone, but you can still delete it. It's not live, unlike a phone conversation. So if you say something, it's live, you know. Right. 
And I love that because we, we are copying, edit, what do you say? Copy, edit, deleting ourselves. And that is, I think that that is causing the relationship factor to be limited because it's scary. Relationships, as you said, are scary. They take work. They're scary. You're open to judge someone, quote unquote, judging you. And we aren't supposed to judge. We aren't supposed to judge. We aren't supposed to make determinations. We are supposed to just accept people as they are. Well, that means you have to accept me as I am. And I think we just go down this rabbit hole of, which is unfortunate because actually what you just said, I literally heard a statistic this morning that the number of marriages has gone down. Like there's this Mm -hmm. huge, um, um, you know, difference in how many marriages there were 10 years ago. Well, yeah. (laughs) I don't know why that surprises anyone because how are you supposed to marry someone? You don't know anybody. You know, and I think that that is it's sad, but people can choose if they're conscious enough, if they're intentional, you can keep the technology, enjoy texting, but consciously know. But I have to push myself to get to know you beyond the, you know, the messaging. And it takes a push, an intentionality, a choice and a choice to move in a direction or not, which means you're making some kind of judgment and be okay with that. Yeah, I think it's very interesting because where the shift came from just happened gradually. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just like pressing the tab button and you're over, you know, five spaces or whatever. Um, <clears throat> but it was very gradual. And it almost makes me change my thinking when I'm thinking about all these things, vulnerability, um, being live and present there. It makes me go like, no wonder people are so hypocritical mm. because they have no experience in front of people. <laughs> yeah. Like people are being hypercritical of celebrities, politicians, mm-hmm. people in the public eye, the ones that have to be live, the ones who can't just like, you know, text <laughs> or whatever, like their whole speech to everyone, you know, being perfect, quote unquote, about something. They have to be live. So if there's a mess up, there's a mess up. Mm-hmm. Or if they slip, they slip. Or if they say something that they shouldn't have, then it's alive, you know, and um, in some ways that's good and in some ways that's bad, but I think it's so weird to think about that because we have so much experience being able to edit the raw parts out of our life mm-hmm. um, that it becomes so easy to judge others. And I think Christians have been a factor in this of looking perfect because yeah. we're Christians. And I'm like, no. Uh, we're, we, if the more perfect we look, the more hypocritical people will come after us. Um, so I think it's it's so weird to think about these ideas and thoughts. And I'm going on a rabbit trail um, <laughs> about everything. So, um, but yeah, I think relationships are hard. There's so many things that go into them with what you were saying about, um, you know, the the culture of you know dating or whatever i just heard a new word today so you know hookup culture yeah you know that one but i (laughs) kind of read this new word called ketchup culture Uh, c-a-t-c-h not as in the condiment um of this idea of when we actually meet someone we're only catching up with them we never get into any other conversations except for catching up with them. We may leave those conversations feeling relieved and de-stressed about the relationship, but we never feel like loved, seen, or anything else. 
because there's it was just catching up. And by the next time you see them, because there isn't a lot of consistency, it's just catching up again. And I feel like this is something that's happening in society, this catch-up culture and hookup culture, where um, it's just when you meet someone, it's only to do a certain thing, and there's not a lot of consistency with that thing, with that same individual. And so it's a lot of catch-up catch up. I'm catching up with their life, catching up with their life. And that's the same thing with social media. You're not actually experiencing that with them. You're just refreshing what events they've gone through, what events you've gone through. You're catching up Mm -hmm. those events. And I think that's what social media has become. It hasn't become like um, social. It's become catch up. I think that also because on some level we look at there's there's an order. And I believe that order is the more as we get to know if we, we if we improve our relationship with God inevitably we will improve our relationship with ourselves because you will be aware of your strengths and weaknesses what you need to work on well who are you at your core what is your purpose you'll think about those questions and the more you think about what is my purpose not this the way we sometimes think about the who am I how which is my desires not just this is what I want but more so what are my strengths? How am I interacting inside society? Am I being intentional? Am I, which comes out of that relationship with God. Then we move to the next level of relationships, which are important in our, and who we are designed to be relationships with others. And if we've gotten these other two in, 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 in order, then our relationship with other people will be at more depth too, because we will look at another person and say, you know what? I wonder if you're dealing in your purpose and we might ask questions and deal and look and talk to them in a similar way that we talk to ourselves. You know, is that really good for you? I mean, cause I see you're interested in dance. So maybe alcohol and drugs aren't a good choice. You know, <laughs> it's like, so, so we, we will give them the, we will talk to them how we would talk to ourselves, which makes the relationship deeper because we're looking at caring about who they are and their purpose and what they, what they were designed to do and all these other things. And like, just like you said, it's, we are do catch up culture with ourselves. We care about what we look like how we present to other people. We do the same thing we do on Instagram and Facebook is what we do to ourselves. You know, we just have to look right until we get behind closed doors where we fall apart a little bit and don't know what we're doing with ourselves and are upset. And then we go back outside and outside into the world and we project the image we think we're supposed to project. And then when we look at another person, we expect, like you said, we accept the, expect the same thing. We expect them not to give us anything real, just the surface. We do not mean it when we say, how are you doing today? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we just we don't we want we expect the surface if we go too deep that person's weird that person's making me uncomfortable because we haven't gone in depth with ourselves we haven't thought about deep questions within ourselves we haven't asked the deep questions to god within for ourselves so we have this i like what did you say we have this catch-up culture with ourself you know with and the and if and and with god hey i did my prayers i went to church that's about it and then we don't. And then we do anything else. We only catch up. We only catch up. Some people read the Bible to catch up. <laughs> yeah. That's in there somewhere, right? I don't know. <laughs> yeah. So we've almost become like a figurehead in our own lives. Yeah. Where we don't have any power because we're just acting a certain way because this is the way I'm supposed to act. You know, like we the queen is a figurehead for England. Mm-hmm. She acts that way because that is what the history and culture was like. You know, she's become a figurehead. She has no actual power. Right. So that was just a tidbit that I thought of while listening. But I think it, it can become so true, this idea of, and and there's so much behind of it, uh, behind it, like the fear of rejection um, with vulnerability, 
you know, this defense mechanism because past relationships hurt. And so I wrote an essay in high school called The Inevitability of Mental Health Issues. Mm. Or no, The Inevitability of Mental Pretenses. Um, uh, or something titled like that. I don't remember what it was called. I think I would know, but it's been <laughs> over four years. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> since I, you know, last looked at it because I turned it in and got a grade. Um, but I remember writing about it and I, my biggest topics were vulnerability, shame. And those were my two topics that I talked about in this five, you know, paragraph essay format. You know, you have one, three paragraphs that argue in the conclusion introduction. Yes, you know, yes. Typical high school thing. But I remember writing and I remember reading a lot of source material. There was this one, um, The Science of Shame and His Treatments by Gerald Fishkin. He, it was a good book, easy read if you ever want to read it. It's very good. It gives you a lot of insight to what the differences between shame and guilt are, how people feel them, and like how it affects people's lives. And it's one of the stepping stones into um, mental illnesses. Mm. Um, but it, it was so good. And I remember writing about it in the book, and I was talking about different vulnerabilities. And I talked about relationship vulnerabilities and how in culture it is – um, so hard to be vulnerable because of rejection. Yep. And rejection is this huge influencer in society because if you're rejected from the group, it, back way back when, you didn't have food. You didn't have security. You didn't have this. And so that still is a play in today's mental space. you know. And so we have come to a society where we're so afraid of rejection that we don't put ourselves in vulnerable situations. And when we do... We're just like, ha LOL, JK. Um, <laughs> you know? Um, and so it's just like, I think therapy is such a good thing. And it's such a prominent thing for people to be talking about in today's society because of the way technology and consumerism has consumed people's lives um, and, and, and relationships. I, and relationships can never be replaced no. with, hum- with uh, technology interaction. And we have to, and, and, and having a relationship also, because I know we, we are winding down, but there has to be a conversation about people have to recognize on some level their worth and their value. Mm-hmm. I think that a lot of times why the, um, why rejection can be so powerful is because your value and your worth is in the group's opinion. Mm. You know, if you are waiting, if you're not, if your Instagram picture or your Facebooks, if you're from my generation, the Facebook <laughs> status doesn't get enough likes or doesn't get enough hearts or whatever it is, ah, you know, you feel like there's, it's, it's you feel more value. We're, we're seeking out value and we're, we're seeking amplifying out, this emotion. Yes. And mm-hmm. I think ultimately we have to ask the question, like you said, therapy, it is, and whether, however, where therapy, having and all the different ways in which we look at our self-worth and our value where does your self-worth come from identity does it come from yeah yeah the the idea of identity politics playing yes. such a huge role because we're, we don't have this self-worth we have the self-worth issue problems and frankly to me i'm gonna try not to get too controversial but you see it in now, whatever the, the the group is under Gen Z, the, the people in middle school now, mm. they're telling you everything they do is to try to find some worth or value. They will pretty much sacrifice anything to be special. Who's calling you special? Who's determining who's special, who's not special? Who gets to, to, to decide 
who's a more valuable person in society and who isn't and what's those what are those markers and we are living in a world where everybody is so desperate for someone to give them worth outside of an internal sense of value and it's really kind of insane almost because we are not no one's calling no one is saying you don't hear a lot in society your self-worth is not on whether or not somebody likes you. Like that's the thing that has been crazy to me well, growing up in the in the 80s, 90s versus today where someone's opinion of you, I was taught, somebody calls you a name, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Mm-hmm. Literally kids are being taught today, everyone must like you. And if they don't like you, then they're bad and you need to make them like you. <laughs> it's like, what? Like, what are we, we're, we're upset. A kid is, is allowed to be upset and bring down the walls because somebody doesn't like them. Instead of teaching them, it doesn't matter whether or not somebody likes you. Yeah, this internal identity, which ultimately comes from God. Yeah. It, Especially if you're, you know, Christian. It, yes. You know, yes. even if you don't have uh, faith in God or whatever, whatever, that should still be prominent in society that your identity comes from the way you are. Yeah. Not the way other people, people view, you, view you and they must approve you. And if they don't, then they, then we must go after them for not. Mm-hmm. It's just so great. And it's all it's all a it's all a. But I will say it's all a breakdown of not having us moving further and further away from making wanting our own version. God, not knowing who God is. And I, of course, as a Christian, would say that that is the breakdown there. But again, having a good relationship, I, I would in my, you know, have having good relationships, the first fruits sacrifice, all of these things come from intentionality, which means you have to have, so let's, I would say you have to have a sense of who and whose you are to bring that intentionality in the first place, Mm -hmm. to work on the heart because everything springs from there. And having good relationships require you to have a good relationship with God and yourself. So takeaway from this podcast is having (laughs) intentionality. Having intentionality. Be intentional about the things you say are important. And Mm -hmm. if you say them mentally or out loud, um, have intentionality behind those things. Um, just don't agree to something if you don't want to do it or if you know <laughs> that later you won't want to do it. Yep. And yep. Like in the moment, you might think that you want to do it, but later you know yourself. Yep. You should think about that. You don't have to answer that right now. Say, I'll get back to you. You know, be intentional with your conversations, with your relationships, especially with God. Um, and I think that will help you build intentionality in who you think you are. Amen. Okay. So, <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> well, um, it is the end of the uh, podcast episode right now. I hope to have you back on because it's always a pleasure to talk with you, um, whether it's on here, outside of here, or just about choir. <laughs> I agree. Yay. So uh, thank you again for joining me, Dr. Uh, Guy Skill, and have a wonderful day, everybody. Thank you.